Well, on April 16th, in 1867, a young man was born just outside a small town called Millville, Indiana. Four years later, uh, his younger brother was born just outside of Dayton, Ohio. These two brothers, along with their five other siblings, grew up the sons and daughters of a bishop and moved around a lot before finally settling down permanently outside of Dayton in 1884. There was nothing remarkable about the birth of these two boys. Nothing about their ordinary childhood could have indicated that they would become uh, the, perhaps the most influential brothers in history. As they grew up, they took an interest in technology and had a flair for the creative. And so uh, to express that, they opened up a bike repair shop uh, and continued to explore their interest in engineering. Not too many later, years later, on December 17th, 1903, still in their early 30s, Wilbur and Orville Wright realized their dream of creating a flying machine and modern aviation was born. Travel, communication, and international commerce would never be the same. Neither Wilbur nor Orville could have predicted how dramatically the world would shift because of their brief time on earth. There are moments like this in history that change everything. Moments that at the time may seem small or insignificant. Inventions that seem like no big deal. The death or birth of one person that changes the world forever. This morning, we're continuing on in our Christmas series called The Gift God Gave, Expect the Unexpected, and we'll be opening up to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and we're going to see an unexpected arrival, the birth of one who would change the world in ways that no one ever has. So, if you're not there already, uh, would you open up to Luke chapter 2, uh, or you can use the Church Center app and all the notes and text will be in there. And I'm going to read all 20 verses for us to get a nice full picture of what's happening here. And so uh, if it's helpful for you to follow along with your eyes and read that uh, as I do, then go right ahead. Or if it's helpful just to set your stuff down, uh, close your eyes, or just listen, uh, you can go ahead and do that. Do that. I just want you to hear uh, what's happening on this night uh, in Bethlehem. So Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. 
This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told." As we work through our text this morning, we're going to see three key events. The birth of a Savior, an angelic proclamation, and finally, an amazed response. Let's look back at verses 1 to 7, where we see the birth of the Savior. From the outside looking in, the birth of Jesus was unremarkable and common. It's not what one might expect for the long-awaited arrival of a deliverer and a savior who was anticipated for hundreds of years, right? Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem because Caesar called for a census. They couldn't find an inn or a, a decent place to stay, so instead they stayed in someone's house in the wing with the animals. And while they were there, Mary had a baby. Countless other women had their babies throughout that region that night, and for all of them, life moved on. The birth of Jesus might at first glance look unremarkable. It is anything but. It is anything but. Luke notes that Caesar Augustus was emperor at the time of Jesus' birth. I don't know how much you know about Caesar Augustus, but he was born in 63 BC, and he was a participant in the assassination of Julius Caesar in 44 BC. He became the sole leader of the Roman Empire in 31 BC at the ripe age of 32. He built the Roman Forum, he founded libraries, he did all sorts of things for Rome, and he boasted that he had found Rome built in brick, but he left it in marble. He was the first Roman emperor to encourage a cult to deify his name. And according to legends, like Alexander the Great, he had been conceived miraculously by a serpent. According to one inscription from uh, the Roman city of Halicarnassus, Augustus was identified as God, son of God, savior, and associated with peace, hope, and good news. A portion of that inscription reads like this. Augustus is, the, Augustus is the father of his divine homeland, Rome, inherited from his father, Zeus, and a savior of the common folk. His foresight not only fulfilled the entreaties of all people, but surpassed them, making peace for land and sea, while cities bloom with order, harmony, and good seasons. The productivity of all things is good and at its prime. There are fond hopes for the future and goodwill during the present, which fills all men so that they ought to bear pleasing sacrifices and hymns. Augustus thought very, very highly of himself and was worshipped as a divine savior for the Roman Empire. He was in complete control, or 
so we thought. See, in reality, the census had very little to do with counting the people of Rome. The Lord in heaven orchestrated the events on earth so that Jesus would be born in the little town of Bethlehem, fulfilling a prophecy from the book of Micah, which was given some 800 years earlier. Matthew 2 quotes Micah 5 this way. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you, that is Bethlehem, will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. God used the hand of the most powerful man in the known world, Caesar Augustus, to work out his plan to bring his son into the world, as was prophesied in the book of Micah. Church, God is so much more in control of our circumstances than we can ever begin to comprehend. God made this guy, Caesar, call a census to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so that Jesus would be born there so that he could fulfill prophecy, so that he could then live a perfect life and die on a cross to save people from their sins. He defeated death itself and is now glorified to the place of sitting at the right hand of God and ruling over all of creation. The so-called Lord of the known world, the most powerful human in existence, the self-proclaimed divine, is a pawn in God's hands. He's a pawn. God could have gotten Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem in a thousand different ways, but he didn't. He used Caesar to call a census. Why? Why would God do that? Well, I don't know for sure. Scripture doesn't speak to the reason that God did that, but pure speculation. I think God was showing his absolute power over every square inch of creation and over every human in it. As we look at the landscape of the world today, it's not hard for us to question where God's at, what he's doing, or how he's working. But here's the thing. We can be confident that God is at work in the world today. We can be confident that God is at work in the world today through both those who are following Jesus and through those who reject him. God is at work. If God can play Caesar Augustus like a little pawn, he can use anyone, anywhere, anytime for any number of his purposes. We can't always see what's going on, but God has shown himself to be in control over and over and over again. God is sovereign. God does have a plan. The birth of Jesus demonstrates God's power and ability to orchestrate anyone and anything for his purposes and plans. We just need to trust him. So, Jesus is here. He's born in this tiny town in the countryside. He's wrapped in cloth and laid in a manger. So what? Well, let's keep reading because up next in verses 8 to 14, we have an angelic proclamation. The night Jesus was born was unlike any other night. Jesus wasn't just any other baby and God, the same God who played Caesar like a fiddle, was about to let the people know just who had arrived. Let's look at and read verses 8 to 14 again. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. So there are some shepherds out in the field tending their sheep. Shepherds were plain, ordinary people. God chose the lowly in society to announce the good news to. They were, shepherds were generally not well-liked by townspeople. They had a reputation for being socially awkward, for being thieves, and for being just generally untrustworthy. They were this ragtag group of nomads who spent most of their time with sheep, isolated from other people. They weren't the group you'd expect a divine announcement to come to. But God is in the business of making himself known to people that we wouldn't expect him to. He doesn't reveal himself to members of the royal court or high-ranking Jewish officials or even priests. He goes to those who are lowly in heart, who are broken, who recognize their need. So these poor guys are out there standing in this field in the middle of the night, right? It's quiet, it's still, it's dark, it's lit up only by the moon and the stars. They're watching for predators and suddenly an angel of the Lord appears before them and the glory of the Lord shows around them and they are terrified. Can you imagine the fear that would grip you in that moment? It's pitch black. You're imagining all of the things that could sneak out in the middle of the night and take you out and suddenly, boom, light. What is it? What's going on? Oh no, I'm about to die, right? We would freak out. But this angel standing before them says, look, look, don't be afraid. I bring good news of great joy for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. The world would never be the same. He was finally here. He was finally here, the one the Israelites longed for, the one who would come to rescue his people from their sins, to repair the broken relationship with God in heaven, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. He's here. He's here. And this is what we celebrate this time of year. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the one who was prophesied of, the one who this whole book called the Bible is about, the one by whom and for whom and through whom all things were made. He's here. Wilbur and Orville Wright might have changed the world as we know it by revolutionizing travel and commerce and communication, but Jesus Christ, that baby born in a manger, would turn the world upside down. He'd turn it upside down on an ordinary night in a small town wrapped in cloth, laying in a manger, was a newborn baby who would come not to change the way we do travel, the way we do commerce, or the way that we communicate with our friends across the globe. He came to save people from their sins, to save people from their sins. Guys, what is this? What kind of love is this? That God in heaven sent his son as a man to be born and laid in a manger so that we might be forgiven for the sins that we commit against him. 
The love that he has for us is incomprehensible. It's overwhelming. Think about this with me for just a second. God created Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 1, right? And he walked with them, and he was physically present, and he had a relationship with them, and he was friends with them in that garden. And then they sinned. They sinned, and throughout history, people, you and I, have kept on sinning, kept spitting in the face of God, kept saying, I know better than you. I know what's best for me. You don't. I know how I should live. How dare you try to tell me what I should do? And do you know what God did? Do you know what God did with all of that? He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus. He sent his son, his boy, to be born and laid in a manger so that he could go to the cross and save people from their sins. It's overwhelming love. It's unexpected and undeserved and unwarranted. God loves you like you can't believe. He loves you like you can't believe. That's the hope of the Christmas story of Jesus' unexpected arrival, that God loves you in an unbelievable way. If you haven't yet, and you're here this morning or you're listening online, if you haven't turned to him, do that. Turn to Jesus for salvation. Place your trust in him. And when you do, you will experience love unlike anything else this world has to offer. The angel makes his announcement, right, that Jesus is here, and the scene gets even more wild. It says that a multitude of heavenly hosts appear in the sky singing God's praise, saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors, that is, people who trust in Jesus for their salvation. I cannot begin to imagine what the shepherds felt, right? Five minutes ago, it was just a normal night. They were just standing out in this dark field and uh, watching out for something that was going to try to sneak attack their sheep. Now, the sky is filled with heavenly beings singing the praises of a holy God because of some baby born the next town over. Then, just like that, the angels go back to heaven, the sky is empty, and everything is as it was. So, what do they do? What do the shepherds do? Well, they look at each other, right? Probably visibly shaken. What in the world was that? And they say, well, let's go see what's going on. Let's go see if what just happened is true. So verses 15 to 20 outline an amazed response. An amazed response. The shepherds head off to Bethlehem to see if what just happened was true or just some crazy hallucination from spending too much time alone with sheep. When they get there, when they get to Bethlehem after trekking that distance, what do they find? They find a baby lying in a manger. It's easy for us to gloss over this because we're so familiar with the imagery this time of year. But can you imagine this with me? You're in a field right? An angel of the Lord appears before you, and there's light all around you. The angel says, don't freak out. There's this baby born in Bethlehem, and that's really good news because he's going to save the world. A whole ton of angels appear singing God's praise, and this angel says, look, here's the sign so that you know this is true. There's going to be a baby laying in a feeding trough, and yes, a baby laying in a feeding trough is as weird as it sounds today. People didn't just lay their babies in a feeding trough just because it was 2,000 years ago. So you go to Bethlehem to find out if it's true. 
is there really a baby laying in a feeding trough? It seems kind of weird. And then you get there, and he's there. The baby is laying there right in front of you. It's all true. What would you do? What would you do with that news? The news that the Savior of the world was here, right here, right in front of you, laying in a manger. I think you'd do what the shepherds did, and you'd tell anyone and everyone who would hear you. He's here. He's here. The Savior is here. The Messiah, the King, he's here. We were out in this field, and an angel appeared to us, and the sky was filled, and they were singing God's praise, and you guys, he's here. He's here. Church, he's here. He's here, the only one who can fill the deepest longings of our heart, who can satisfy the desire in our souls for something more, the only one who can deliver us from our sins. The Savior is here. The Savior is here. Jesus was born a couple thousand years ago in an otherwise unremarkable small town on a plain old regular night. And when he arrived, everything changed. Everything changed. He would go on to live a life unlike any other. And we know that he went to the cross for you and me to bear our sins so that we might be redeemed. We might be saved so that we could experience eternal life with God in heaven, free from sin and all its consequences. The birth of Jesus is a story that many of us are familiar with, but it's loaded with significance. God loves you. He loves you. Jesus is worth celebrating today and every day. I want to challenge you to spend some time in awe of what God did on that night in Bethlehem. Even if this story is old news to you, even if you're so familiar with the Christmas story, you're like, why are we talking about this again? Revisit it. Spend some time sitting in awe of what God did that night in Bethlehem. His power in orchestrating the birth of Jesus. His glory proclaimed by the angels and the shepherds. The Savior has arrived. Hope is here. Our only response as believers, as followers of Jesus, is to praise and worship. We've got to praise and worship for all that he's done, and we're going to have a chance to do that here in just a second in a tangible way as we approach the Lord's table together. So if you haven't yet uh, grabbed one of these on your way in, if you want to head out and grab one of those, or if you're at home and worshiping with us online uh, and you want to run to your kitchen and grab some juice or water uh, and crackers or bread, we're going to take communion and respond in worship to our God together. So as Jed said at Crossview Church, uh, we have just three simple instructions for communion. We practice what's called open communion. So all that means is you don't need to be a member of Crossview Church to participate this morning. You just need to be a member of the body of Christ, having confessed him as Lord of your life. And so if you're participating online, whether you're local or somewhere else, uh, if you're following Jesus, you're more than welcome to participate with us. Parents, we recognize you as the spiritual leaders, and so you're welcome to serve communion to your children uh, if they've uh, made that confession of faith and are following after Jesus. And finally, we'll take the elements together uh, in just a moment. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He came to the earth fully God and fully man that he might go to the cross and bear your sins. He loves you. The bread and the cup that we're about to take together are physical reminders of his broken body 
and his shed blood. It wasn't an easy task that he took on coming down and being born a man. It wasn't painless. It was actually quite the opposite. But in spite of our sinful and broken and adulterous hearts, God made the first move in sending Jesus. He made the first move. And God still pursues us today. He forgives us over and over and over again. Before we eat the bread and drink the juice, I want us to take a moment to just sit in God's presence. And as we do, I'm going to ask you to do two things. First, confess any sin that the Spirit brings to mind. Go before him and lay it at the foot of the cross, being confident that he's faithful to his word. And as he says, he will separate us from our sin as far as the east is from the west because of the blood of Jesus. God loves to forgive you. First, confess sin. Second, praise him for the hope and truth of the gospel. Just sit in awe of what God has done on your behalf for the birth, life, death, and glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you about a minute, so let's go before the Lord right now. Lord, we humbly come before you this morning recognizing that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We praise you for the hope of Jesus Christ and for the forgiveness that he provides through the gospel. We thank you that as we've confessed our sin, you are faithful to forgive it. Now, Father, as we come to the bread and juice, we ask that you would use these tangible reminders of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus to remind us of your love for us. By your Spirit, would you speak the truth of the gospel into your bride? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, first we have the bread. Scripture says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And now the juice. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? Father, you are so good to us. We can't fathom the depth or richness of the love that you have for us. You sent your only son to be born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger so that he would ultimately go to the cross on our behalf. Also, humanity might have a relationship with you again. While we sin and rebel, you pursue. 
While we disobey and are unfaithful, you remain steadfast. You are holy and good and righteous. Help us to love you more deeply. We ask that you would refresh our vision of your glory during this Christmas season and bring us to a place of awe in your presence. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.